0: Love more or hate him, you can't live without him. Jim Chapman on 94.9 FM, CHRW. And joining me in the studio this morning... Uh that's Matt's Jeff Schlemmer. Gentlemen, nice to see you both. Morning, Jim. Morning. We have a report from outside. Apparently the the rain is quite uh, quite uh, drastic out there. Is yeah, that correct? No kidding. Yeah, it comes in
1: waves. Yeah. From zero visibility to light and then back to zero Ooh. visibility. <laughs>
0: I'm not pleased with that particular. No. <laughs> no, <it's kind> of <laughs> we're, we're, we're warm and dry in here. Yeah. yeah. We're warm and dry in here.
1: And the electricity's still on. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. We like that as well. It's yeah. tough to do the show without it. Guys, I want to ask you, uh, both of you, and uh, I alluded earlier today to a young London lawyer some years ago who uh, talking about cuts to uh, to social services, predicted a, uh, a tent city in Harris Park of about five thousand people. Um, I didn't. I don't know whatever happened to that guy, but it was a. <laughs> it was a. Uh, you know, it was a comment I'm sure made in uh, serious at the time, concerned about the issues of uh, funding cutbacks and so on. That uh, tent city did not materialize, but we're seeing now in the city, people are raising the issue. Irene Matheson, most noticeably, um, that um, the federal government's foot-dragging on delivering funds they've promised to a number of local agencies may create a, a similar situation, or at least the potential for that. Uh, a woman from the AIDS, uh, one of the AIDS committees uh, said that there will be people sleeping in the streets uh, of London uh, this winter and so on. Jeff, I want to ask you, because I know you're, you're, you're plugged into this sort of area, can you give us any insight as to what is happening here relative to these funds? Why has the government not forwarded them if this is money that's been promised, and these are programs that are up and running? Do, do you know what's happening here?
2: Uh, I have some uh insight into it, I think, and uh, part of the reason that I do is that I serve on uh, the board of a uh, of a housing foundation in London that built a um, that built among the first pro- uh, first non profit housing uh, that w- that 's been built in the last fifteen years i guess uh when was it after the um, well I guess in the early 90s, the federal government announced that they would get back into the business of building social housing if it was cost-shared with the federal and provincial governments. Um, back until until uh, the early 90s, the federal government had been spending about $2 billion a year on building non-profit housing in Canada, and then with the uh, deficit arising from the recession, they cancelled that and downloaded responsibility for housing to provinces. Provinces, uh, particularly when Premier Harris was elected, said, well, I'm not building any, and they canceled 20,000 units in Ontario at that time. So what happened then was that the focus shifted to shelters, and more money became available for shelters, and as a result, there were substantial uh, expansions to mission services and uh, the Salvation Army, which are the two shelter providers in London. Um, But the money uh, has various kinds of strings, and, and again, my Dealing with it has been in trying to get the money to build this new nonprofit housing, and and uh, my organization, uh, which is actually um, was spearheaded by Susan Eagle and uh, and Bishop Sherlock in town, um, applied for this money and went through just unbelievable hoops trying to get the money out of the federal government. And I think the reason that that's happened is because of the. Do you remember the? Um, Uh, It was before the sponsorship scandal. It was the one before that, the uh, boondoggle (laughs) about uh, money being spent in Quebec for social programs Mm -hmm. and there was no paperwork for it. Mm -hmm. So inevitably what in my experience happens is that the bureaucrats go back to work and then they come up with way too much paperwork and and way too much bureaucracy and uh, uh, requirements that are just unrealistic. And it takes forever to... to work your way through that. So I, I think that the, what has happened is that the money they're talking about, although, again, it's been promised and people are uh, have budgeted based on it, it's been held up um, for reasons like that. Now, it, it's somewhat exacerbated because of the uncertainty, because of the change of government. And uh, it's no secret that the new government is is likely to cut those programs and uh, last week announced $2 billion in program spending cuts uh, so everybody anticipates these programs are probably going to be cut and the bureaucrats who administer them are, are kind of on tender hooks as far as you know, should we be sending this money out, should we be not? Uh, so that has, I think, uh, delayed it as well. And we heard that after the federal election that uh, CMHC, uh, Canada Mortgage and Housing, and the uh, ministry, and you may recall that Joe Fontana was the minister of housing up mm-hmm. until the last election, that basically with the uh, new government, everything was on hold and all bets were off.
0: Bob, uh, Jeff used the phrase whether we should send this money along or not. Should they be sending this money along? Um
1: the federal government you mean mm-hmm. i i would say i don't know what their plans are so i can't speak in the context of what their plans are but this is an example to me of why government spending cannot help the poor they're not spending the money on the poor they're spending the money on housing that's the business everybody's in collecting property and rents and the united church and catholic church are into that in a big way mm-hmm. and uh
0: is that such a bad thing people need
1: housing well then ask me why there you know ask why there's more supposedly homeless people today than there were before. You know, there's this utter disconnect between who pays for all that stuff and how you can spend it to help the poor. Like, the reason there are so many poor is because the governments at all levels take 50% plus of our money away. Uh, You want to help housing? Get rid of property taxes. You know, you want to help people with greater income? Get rid of income taxes. Neither of those two taxes are required. For a legitimate government to run, and if you want to help the poor, get rid of universality in other social programs, which soak up all the money available for
0: for helping anyone who's but actually like, in need. For example, what kind of universality causes that problem? Healthcare. You know, healthcare takes up in
1: Ontario 60 percent of all existing in or taxes in the province, just for the healthcare system, which is the worst thing you could buy for your money. I mean, how can you have such a bad system for such a high price? Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing nothing there. When you look at some of the major hospitals in Toronto, they have one operating room available on the
0: weekend in a metropolis of 6 million. That's But, you know, the alternative to that, we are told, is losing our universal health care and the universality that we are also told is the definition of Canadian. I'd rather have my health
1: than a social program that pretends to give me health care. Uh, the difference is, is immense between having a health care system that actually looks after people's health and cares for them and having a bureaucratic, government run state monopoly that bans even a private individual from paying for his own health care. No okay. wonder the healthcare system has no money. We are not allowed to pay them anything.
0: All right, well let's get let's get I want to get back to it. No I'll situa- <laughs> our situation in London here though, where they're talking about the homeless. And they're saying without this influx I think about six hundred thousand dollars that's missing now, that we're going to be facing some real serious problems helping the people, the homeless people on our streets. At the same time we are told by someone else that a good chunk of those people are suffering from various kinds of mental ailments and that need more, more concerted, more concentrated help, perhaps, than it, perhaps, than is available. And yet they're not getting it. The police are telling us they're spending a lot of time dealing with folks who might better be helped by social agencies and so on. But well, in the 600,000,
2: too, it's like that what's changed from, uh, from that young lawyer 14 years ago was that at that time, uh, uh, what I, what I had in mind at that time was that I was aware that there were about five, that was you? I, I believe I well, no, I believe I was young once. I didn't give that away, you know. I didn't. <laughs> really, I, I, didn't I didn't say it's it. It's wonderful. I said something that's still memorable after all <laughs> those years. But what what uh, what I thought was, and again, and I was naive, memorable? Was that <laughs> that, uh, that there were five thousand people in London who were getting welfare, who were receiving what was called a maximum shelter allowance, and that's how much the rent was. And the game was that landlords knew this is how much you can get from welfare for rent each month, and that's how much each of those folks were paying. So my expectation was that most of the landlords would not agree to reduce the rent so those folks could keep that housing. The other thing that happened was that the shelters were way smaller at that time, and I thought there wasn't a lot of extra capacity that they could take people in with. But what ended up happening was that uh, evidently lots of landlords did agree to rent reductions uh, when the um, shelter allowance was cut, which is great. And also the shelters had a kind of a mass program where they had people sleeping in halls, sleeping in any any place they could find it in the shelters. But, um, the, the issue now is that the shelters are at capacity. Basically, they have, all the beds are used every night, at least according to what they tell me, and uh, so it's a question of they say that they've got all the people they can safely take in, and they just don't have any more room for them. So if they can't take them in, they just close the door, basically, and you're on your own. So it's this, it's this money that they expected to be ha- to be able to use within their budget to find other floor space to put these people on, and that's what's been held up.
0: Bob, what's wrong with us? Tri- as, as a society, without getting off into healthcare and some of the other things that that uh, that uh, we're all concerned about, but what's wrong with us as a society funneling funds to these folks who really are at the end of the the disadvantage stick? You know, they are right out there on the end of it, and and they're not for whatever reasons they're either not integrating successfully economically into our system, or they're incapable of integrating economically into our system. Why are you asking me that question? You, because you're I'm, implying
1: that I said I don't want to help those no, no, people. No, no,
0: no, no, but I'm, I'm asking you what's wrong with the, the people that's that there wrong are. There are people them. who say that we shouldn't be doing it. What's wrong is
1: taking money from people without their consent, and that's what government does. <laughs> yeah, but that's... Okay. A, a, a dollar spent through coercion is not worth as much as a dollar spent voluntarily. If the, do,
0: if the voluntary yeah. dollars are there, do you think the dollars would be there?
1: Well, if, if half your income, if you had double the income right now, wouldn't you have a little, few, few more dollars to spare? And wouldn't that money go to something that where you saw results Rather than sunk into some hole where you 're getting less and less for what you 're putting into it that 's the way the rest of the world operates, and even in the most socialized countries, they let you pay for your own medicine and things like that you know we 're we're, we're well what if you can 't pay well, then you have to get help and you have to rely on others to help, even a socialized country requires uh, wealthy in its nation to tax. And so, if you kill the golden loo- or golden goose, you know you, you're not going to get any more eggs. And that's where we're at right now. Uh, we got a situation where we're worried about the auto industry leaving the country. We're worried about jobs in general. We're worried about uh, you know people don't own their homes anymore with the kind of property taxes they're paying anymore. You're paying rent to the city to to keep your property even after you've paid the for with after it after tax but dollars. But the, the city
0: says that they have no, there's no choice. There's no way to run a city with. You can run a city taxes.
1: with consumption taxes, and they know that darn well. <laughs> and
0: but By consumption taxes, you mean like the GST? Like this GST sales
1: taxes, licenses, filing, registration, that kind of thing. But then property isn't threatened. Um, no one loses their home because they can't pay their taxes everybody pays taxes who comes through the city including visitors and conventioners and everybody who does any business in the city and if you actually look at the numbers you can have a very low municipal tax rate and provincial lower than what we've got now combined and still fund the city
0: it's been done but do they do, do they not get us at the end of the day how do we know where we are the one advantage of the kind of tax system we have now And there may not not be another advantage to it anywhere, but the one advantage is if you spend a few minutes looking, you can find out what you're paying. You can find out where it's going.
1: Well, you can figure that out through sales taxes, too. You just look at whatever you spent and times whatever percentage of sales tax is. But more importantly, I'm not talking about changing municipal government to the point where you cannot view what they're spending. That's what's really important. And if you want to get a per capita idea of what each person's paying, divide by the population or, you know, some arbitrary formula. Right now you don't know what you're getting for your money. How can you even say something like that? Your money's not going anywhere where you want it to go. But if I
0: look at the at the end of the day, if I look at my tax bill, I know who to blame. They don't pay any attention when I complain about it, but at least I know who to blame. For everything's consumption tax, isn't there the danger that you Why you're do you want get... to
1: blame somebody? Why don't you want to do something about the problem? You know, that's the problem with our whole social system. Everybody's blaming somebody and they want a system so we can blame somebody for somebody's inherent problem. I mean Poverty is a natural state of man. If you just sit there and do nothing, you will be poor. Whether you are able to work, unable to work, intelligent, stupid, doesn't make any difference. Inactivity, and in lack of ambition, and I'm talking about healthy people, if you just sit there, you're going to be poor. Nobody else, because of what they are doing, is making you poor. And that's the assumption under which government programs operate. They punish you to the degree of your success, to the degree, to the degree that somebody is productive and works. And that's sure so true, true people want that, to work. There are,
2: that there are excess jobs. If it's true that there's a job for everybody out there who wants one, um, then that would be true. Uh, well, there are I think, jobs Everything out I've there. read is that there's always considerably fewer jobs, and part of the evidence of that is that at least the little bit of economics that I took in university was that if it was true that there were all kinds of jobs that were going wanting, that is that employers couldn't find employees to take them because they were relying on social programs, for example, then what would happen under normal economic theory is that wages would tend to go up because employers would have to pay more in order to attract people to take those jobs, and yet we haven't seen any growth in wages amongst low-income earners in the last decade, which suggests that that's not true, that there aren't a lot of jobs that they can't find people to fill. Uh, and again, well, that's it, why I think the government just raised the uh, minimum wage. Because, I was just going to say, uh, the minimum not wage is a perfect, through the market.
1: Well, it's not going to happen through minimum wage either. All you're doing is if you have an $8 minimum wage, anybody who only can produce $7 an hour worth of, of uh, productivity isn't going to have a job,
0: and they're going to be a burden on the poor guy that is making $8 an hour. <laughs> okay, we we'll have to pause for a second. We'll be back with more on the Jim Chapman News, our left, right, and center with Schlemmer and Metz. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer with us today. We're talking about the government's role, I guess, in uh, doing the things that the government does. And Bob, of course, is always is looking for better ways to do it. And you raised a very good point there. You, 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 you took me to task for using the word blame, and you were quite right to do so, because I said I know who to blame. Ultimately, I have to blame myself, I suppose. But just to come back for a moment to this, and I want to move on to something else. Um, Jeff, if this money doesn't come through, what's going to happen?
2: Well, I guess uh, probably two things will happen. One is that somehow or other the um, the uh, charities in the city will try to find a way to stretch themselves a little thinner, and uh, there will be a certain number of people that do get turned away. And and again, there are people that get turned away from uh, from uh, shelters uh, who do spend their nights uh, in the uh, in the parks. Where where I went wrong was that because of my camping heritage, I assumed that one would pop a tent and stay in it, whereas in fact they seem to be prefer the au naturel lie on a picnic table approach. <laughs> well, Kansas
1: City is symbolic, let's face
0: yeah. it. I <laughs> love well, the Harris Park thing. I just couldn't resist. Well, there are, my the, smart
2: mouth. There, are many, there are
0: many people who who still contend that nobody in this country needs to sleep on the street, that there are beds, there are shelters. That's there it's It's untrue Very, today? No, quite untrue. Okay. Yeah. So so the the argument that people choose to live on the street that they choose not to take advantage of the system is no longer true.
2: Well it's a convenient myth and it and, it, and it's just a wonderful one it conjures up the image of the happy hobo out on the rails you know living, I'm sorry, living I'm the sorry. free life. So I that's, know that's something that we hear all over the place. That's,
1: that's where the person chose to be out on the street yep. when they had a warm loving family at home wanting them back home in her nice warm bed, you know. Well and that comes back to I the think issue think I think you're going to Is no, it true, true
2: that this is a and again i know that the, the the right just have this reverie for this wonderful life of freedom and independence a lot of people choose to live under bridges because they're free and it's just it's just such nonsense yeah, it's like the I'm welfare not, I'm wall, not denying your,
1: your point that there are some people who don't have that choice I'm, I'm agreeing with that but then you went to the other extreme and you said you, you imply that there's no other such person well, question that, that was wants to be out there i think it's question was, the question was is way. there a
2: bed for everybody who wants one in canada or, or in london or in ontario and the que- the answer is no that's what I said.
1: Well, that's always going to be the case, isn't it, no matter what system you have? Maybe.
2: And, and one of the things that I'm kind of increasingly aware of is that we reached a high water mark as far as social programs about 15 years ago in Canada. I, I can't imagine that'll ever come back.
1: What do you mean a uh, high water mark? Uh, well,
2: the... Um, any number of programs you want to look at. In those days, if you became unemployed, you probably qualified for employment insurance. Uh, 90% of Canadians did, whereas now it's down to about 35%. Uh, welfare rates were substantially higher then than they are now. Um, social housing, there was vastly more of it available than there is now. Uh, and this is, this is a trend that, that we're following the United States in, where there's just much, much less, uh, money spent in government now on the poorest of the poor than there used to be. But are we, and again, uh, that's not going to change. Politically, is the, that's popular. Is
0: society any worse off
2: because of that? Well, those people are clearly worse off. I haven't as to seen any stats goal, that
0: show that spending has ever
1: gone down in the last 20 years at any level of government. But oh, what sure. might be happening is the rate of increase might be going down. Well, welfare rates were by 21% percent in TNT. 1995
2: and they've not been raised since then except for uh, 3% last year. So they're now equivalent to the rates in 1989. Uh, no question about that. EI, employment insurance, has a $45 billion surplus. Under the Un- Employment Insurance Act, it's illegal for the government to have a surplus in employment insurance. If they have a surplus, they either have to reduce premiums or else pay higher benefits. They won't do either. They've spent $45 billion that they've applied to debt reduction. And again, they, they believe that that's politically popular and I think they're right. But it's, for better or worse, the fact is that we're spending far less on social programs than we did 15 years ago. I sometimes say that about the time I got involved in trying to help poor people, uh, things started to go downhill and have continued to slide faster and faster ever since. So, I'm not happy <laughs> about it. It's just a reality. I know. Wait, We don't know
0: for sure. <laughs> so we have to slip away just for a moment or two. We'll be back with more. Uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with us today on Left, Right, and Center. Glad to have you with us too on 94.9 CHRW. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer with us today. I want to ask you guys about something that, uh, that struck me, and I mentioned this earlier to our listeners, That, uh, and I don't know if there's any significance to this or not, but I'm always looking for the little clues. When you're trying to find tomorrow's news story today, you look for the little clues. For the last few days, a number of Canadian newspapers have taken to refer, at least columnists, have taken to referring to Michael Ignatieff as Iggy I didn't notice him do that before. He, of course, now is officially the front-runner for the leadership of the Liberal Party. He's got, I think, about 25% of the committed delegates at this point. Um any significance to that at all do you guys think i just it just not, I'm not a little sure strange. of the context
1: it could well, be an endearing comment or it could be meant as an insult uh, you know like i am sure that it's Teddy Roosevelt it would, remember Teddy
2: it may not <laughs> please him personally but it would certainly please his campaign team because uh, everything that i had heard was that the biggest one of the biggest hurdles that he had to overcome was his perception that he was kind of a cold distant aloof uh, Harvard academic uh, and uh, who had lived in england and that uh, he, he wasn't warming up the uh, the rank and file and i remember him talking about a uh, a riding Association dinner in uh, Kingston, for instance, where he was dropping his g 's at least to try and fit in with the locals, but he still had a tailored suit on, and so comment from people was, you know he really seems to think he 's better than the rest of us so so I think that anything you can do to sort of personalize him and warm him up will be good for his campaign so well, it wouldn 't surprise me if this is something that 's being kind of uh, urged on the media by the uh, by the campaign spin doctors.
0: There is uh, there's an old adage in politics that you can't elect a professor, although it's, that adage has been honored in the breach many times. Pierre Trio was a, was a professor. Uh, I saw Ignatieff last week or two weeks ago when he was here, and he sure looked professorial to me. Of all of them up there, he was the sort of the least the least warm, I thought, in those terms. And yet he's uh, he's leading the delegate race.
1: Might be a value in not looking too hot-headed, you know. Especially in these it, turbulent times, maybe and against for Stephen that, Harper, yeah, you know, because Stephen Harper hasn't played that type of card at all, and mm-hmm. he's, I think he's gaining in in respect, if not popularity. What do you
0: make of the story today? And the and I, I mentioned this earlier as well of the story in the National Post of the spending of Harper's government, the personal expense accounts is record lows. These guys just aren't spending money. Some of them aren't even submitting. Uh, 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 claims for money that obviously they've spent food and travel expenses they're not even putting in the chips for them and when they do put them in for the most part they're very, very small, very, very modest by comparison with the liberals and with previous Tory governments. Uh, short-term strategy, or do you think there's is there is there any long-term value in this? Will, will, will Canadians? I said earlier, I really appreciate seeing that. Will I appreciate it a year from now? Do you think Canadians will care if the government continues to do uh, again, that? Again,
1: on a dollar value, it's meaningless, but uh, symbolically, I think it. Tells you tomes. I mean, it certainly separates uh, their sense of what the, what they're going to do with the taxpayer dollar than from the liberals and what mm-hmm. they were doing. And I think symbolically that will send a message to most people who really don 't know much about yeah, politics I think, that's,
2: I think that's what leadership is and by minority
1: like, government as well, you want to look good mm-hmm. you want to
2: so many times you 've seen people who come out and, and talk a good story and then you find out they 're not living it, and it just destroys their credibility, so they 're obviously about fiscal prudence and, and that 's what they believe in and and yet again, we 've heard it before, and then later found out that you know that the people did succumb to the to the lures of power and, and it end up with the corporate jets and the fancy expense but accounts. It, but, but it didn't hurt them.
0: This is, the, this is the other amazing thing in this country. We look at, at year after year after year of, of liberal profligacy with, with public funds and huge expense accounts being filed and so on and there'd be stories and the auditor general would holler and the newspapers would holler and the talk shows would holler and then we'd elect all the same people again next time. But I not. think part of the
2: problem in the past has been that again prior to the liberals it was Brian Mulroney and it was the same stuff, uh, the gravy train. So I think that if these guys can genuinely keep to that discipline and it's you know, it, it's, it's remarkable what small amounts of money at the end of the day it is that people decide to lose their credibility over, I think. You know, when it comes to sp- sp- expensing all this stuff, what was the one about expensing gum and yeah, stuff? Yeah. Like, why give up your credibility? Why give up your $150,000 a year job for the sake of some frickin' gum? Uh, so it's not that hard to do, and yet politicians seem to just, again... They get lured in away from uh, from their sanity somehow. So God bless them. The longer they can keep it up, the better. And I think it sends a very good message of leadership to the to the public.
0: I've never understood their reluctance to squeeze a penny. I, I, I really I do not understand that reluctance of so many of them to well, squeeze a
1: penny. they don't have to earn the money. They don't have to. They're not out there, you know, please buy our product or but, anything but like still, that. But,
0: no, <laughs> but still, Bob, it's such, it is such an obvious thing to do and, and I think a responsible thing to do. Oh, I agree with and, you. And an easy but, thing to do. I mean, so you know, instead of I said earlier, you, you you fly into town. You don't have to stay at the most expensive hotel in town if you're the under assistant secretary for such and such and so and so. You don't have to eat in the in the uh, in the restaurant in the hotel, which is usually the most expensive one in town. Yes, it's convenient to do both of those things, but you don't have to do it. Find the less expensive mm-hmm. meal, find the less expensive accommodation, and do it because it's the right thing to do. And, but so many of them is, well, it's, you know, this, it's convenient to do this, and I have to fly first class, because I, I have to do this and this and this. And
1: you know, you said earlier that the liberals were getting away with all sorts of stuff for years and years and weren't paying the political price. Um, I know what you mean, and it's kind of true in retrospect, but I think that was only because... There was not an alternative there in the average voter's mind to go to, Mm -hmm. credibly, because people vote against anyway. And finally, these things added up to the point where that straw hit that broke the camel's back and Harper got a foot in the door, and now he has to walk a very careful mile. While he 's in power, and I think he 's been doing a good job in terms of foreign policy and and you know acting like a leader let 's put it that way well, okay, is, i don 't agree with all all other policies, but
2: in politics, you get your reward after you 're done everybody knows that that you 're supposed to look good while you 're doing it, and then after you 're done, you get appointed to lots of corporate boards and stuff that 's where you make that 's where the money is it 's not on expensing uh, dinners and stuff so again, it just surprises me how short sighted a lot of people are and I think that uh, again the Inevitably politicians ask for sacrifice from us and if they can demonstrate that they're sacrificing some things too because most of them could be in corporate jobs where they could be you know having all the, the fancy perks but if they're willing to say I want to I want a life in public service and I want to do some leading for a while and here's a sacrifice I'm making I think the average person respects that.
0: Okay guys we're out of time the band's playing in the background rocking and rolling thanks to Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Matts. Always a pleasure. Thanks, thanks Jim. Jim. See you next Wednesday. And thanks to you folks too for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Uh, get the umbrella up when you go out there if it's still raining, and if not, well, <laughs> keep it handy from what they tell us. We'll be back tomorrow with the next edition of the news hour at 11 o'clock in the morning. I'd like to have you join us as well. In the meantime, it's Jim Chapman saying, please take care of each other, mind how you go, and God bless. Bye bye.
1: If you've enjoyed this presentation, visit www.justrightmedia.org
0: for more programming that's not right-wing. It's just right.